Welcome to the Fight Lawyer Podcast, where we discuss combat sports and the law. I'm Dmitry Shaknovich, and today, we sit down with lawyer and boxing promoter Joe DeGuardia, who's promoted Antonio Tarver, Chris Algieri, and others. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, my pleasure, Dmitry. Good being with you. Let's talk a bit about your background and your promotion, Star Boxing. Well, I, uh, I was basically born into boxing. I... Uh, my, my earliest memories are uh, of boxing. I got, you know, when I look at my old pictures, I got my pictures of me, you know, just coming out of uh, just being born with boxing gloves on. Because my dad was born in the boxing family. My father was a pro fighter. My uncle was a pro fighter. So, you know, literally it was uh, a part of my everyday life. And when I was approximately, I'd say about five years old, six years old, I started going to the gym every day. Um, you know, with my father, um, and boxing every day. And ultimately, you know, I started competing and I was successful. So, you know, you, when you're successful at something, you tend to like it. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I, uh, you know, had over 100 amateur fights. I won the Golden Gloves, uh, you know, four for the United States team, things like that. And, um, you know, basically, I, I fell in love with the sport. So when I graduated law school and I was uh, an attorney, I was, you know, basically getting calls from uh, fighters that I had worked with, uh, boxing-wise. They were asking for help, and I would help them out and give them advice and things like that. And ultimately, that led into me getting involved in the business of boxing and and now a promotional company that, fortunately, we've had a lot of success with, Star Boxing. You were quite the prospect growing up. You mentioned that you won the New York Golden Gloves, I think, at 88. Why did you drop boxing? Well, you know, look, it's, um, I was always going to school. And my father, who was a fighter, you know, really felt that if you can do something else, um, you know, and you had other opportunities and, you know, that you did successful in the amateurs, there's no need for you to fight pro because you don't need it for a living. Um, and I really didn't want to break his heart, so to speak. Um, and, you know, when all was said and done, uh, I probably, who knows what would have happened. I had a car accident when I was 17. Um, I was off for four years. I came back and, you know, went back on the team again, the U.S. team again, and won the Golden Gloves again and things like that. Um, I thought I was old at 24. <laughs> you don't realize how young 24 really is. And... Um, and ultimately, I was, I had, by that time, I was really through law school, so I had another profession. And, uh, and like I tell my guys today, you know, it's, it's a tough business boxing. So you started law school, uh, and you went on to be a prosecutor in the Bronx a bit before opening up your own shop. Why did you ultimately decide to make boxing promotion your primary area of focus? You know, I actually didn't. Um, I thought when I stopped boxing, I was out of boxing. And, you know, I, uh, I had loved the game, you know, when I stopped fighting, I, I was, you know, up in the middle of the night all the time, you know, staring at the walls, wishing I was back in the ring. You know, it's, it's like a, an addiction to, to, you know, fight and box and compete at high levels. Uh, it's really something special. So, but when I went into uh, law and I was practicing in the district attorney's office and things like that. I didn't really think I was going to be in the business of boxing, but what ended up happening was uh, I was asked to uh, 
manage the career of a boxer and, you know, help him out and things like that. And I ultimately did that. And, you know, like uh, typically happens with something that you love, you, you know, you, uh, you get involved in it, you start doing things in it, and it gets bigger and bigger. And, you know, your love uh, for it keeps uh, growing and you try to help people and you try to help, uh, you know, people you have an affinity with fighters. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you start to develop a company. And it really just uh, came this way naturally, I guess. How different is being a trial lawyer or what skills could you take out from that and apply to the promotional business? Well, I think, um, you know, first of all, I think there are many parallels in boxing itself, being a fighter and being a trial lawyer, you know, um, in both, whether you're a fighter, whether you're a trial lawyer, preparation is key. You need to be in great shape, you know, no matter how good your case is, if you don't prepare it, you're not going to win it. And the same thing with a fighter, no matter how good you are and how talented you are. If you're not prepared, you're not going to win. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, mental and physical components of both um, areas of the ring and the courtroom. So in those two respects, they're very, very similar. And then when you take it to the aspect of promotion, well, there's so many different aspects of promotion that are involved in, in promoting an event. And, you know, like uh, when you're in a boxing ring, you know, you always have to look for that punch and make sure you don't get hit with that sneaky punch, the one that you don't see because those are the ones that hurt you. Um, same thing in promotion, because you could get, you know, things that hit from left field, from storms to uh, plane delays to people getting arrested, fighters getting arrested, every kind of possible thing that could possibly go wrong in a promotion. Um, you know, over the years, you see, you'd be surprised that you can get shocked again, but yet it happens. And it's the same thing, and, you know, like when you're a, uh, a lawyer, same thing when you're in the ring, and same thing when you're promoting and all of those fronts, preparation and, you know, trying to look for every angle and make sure that everything's covered uh, are both important. And you learn a lot of that when you're an attorney. And, you know, it's good for you to be prepared for every moment so that when that moment and shocking thing hits that you didn't expect, well, at least everything else is covered. So you open up Starboxing. Good decision that was. You got an event coming up, 9-28, featuring Cletus Seldine, undefeated junior middleweight out of Brooklyn. Uh, how close is he to fighting the uh, Terrence Crawford of the world? Well, you know, we talked about him fighting Terrence uh, about a year ago. And um, we also looked at a couple of other uh, major fights for him that uh, for one reason or another didn't come through. Sometimes it was based upon scheduling. Uh, another time it was his med medical condition Cletus had, things like that. So, you know, thing is shoulder injury. So he's literally on the cusp, you know, he uh, he's, could be one fight away, two fights away from a, uh, you know, a major, major fight or a world title contention. So this is a key fight for him, September 28th at the Paramount in Huntington. You know, he's got a tough guy in front of him and uh, he's been off uh, for a year and it's important that he uh, get back into the swing of things and uh You know, he, he wanted a tough guy, and, you know, we certainly want to put a guy in front of him that uh, doesn't get stopped and hasn't been knocked out, because, as you know, Cletus is a real banger. 
He's got 16 knockouts in, in 19 victories. Um, and the guy that he's fighting has never been stopped, has been in with all top guys, was a French national champion, uh, European, he fought for the European title, had a draw recently. Uh, and the kind of guy that has, in the past, gone into his opponent's hometown like he's doing here, uh, fought an opponent with an undefeated record like he's doing here, and has uh, come through and surprised everybody and won. So, you know, he's got a task in front of him. He's got to focus on this fight Thursday night. He's got to win this fight Thursday night. And should he do that, I think he's right on the verge of uh, major fights. What do you look for when you cultivate these young fighters, uh, these guys coming up, you find them in the gym, I suppose, or they come to you some other way? What do you look for when you talk about a guy that has star power that you can turn into someone that can main event a card, whether it's now or down the line? You know, when you look at guys that we have been successful with, guys like Chris Algieri, who we, we developed from the Paramount and made him into a world champion, uh, you know, he had an outside-the-ring character that uh, could make him, you know, successful. You know, he was a, a nutritionist. He had a, a medical uh, degree he was looking to pursue, um, you know, college background, master's degree, things like that. When you look at a guy like Joe Smith, uh, who, you know, was a union worker, a common man, a guy who, you know, the normal American blue-working, blue-collar, hard-working American can identify with, you know, um, you know, that was something that we looked at and said, this is somebody we can market and, and put out there. Um, obviously, you know, you also need to have that in the ring stuff. For Joe Smith, he was a tremendous puncher, and people love that. Cletus Selden, the Hebrew hammer. I mean, uh, he's got a great personality. He's got real characteristic to him. Uh, he's, he's, he's really something else outside the ring. And inside the ring, look at his style and look at his, uh, you know, his punching power. You know, these are, these are things that make guys marketable. Back when, when I developed and, and did uh, and took and, you know, I uh, was working and promoted Ant Antonio Tarver. I mean, he was tremendous outside the ring. He could speak well. Uh, he was marketable. He was loquacious. I mean, uh, you know, people didn't want to deal with Antonio because they didn't like that he was, you know, such a good, loquacious, loquacious and, and uh, you know, personality. But we saw that it made him marketable. We saw that it made him somebody that you know would would be able to transcend just being in the ring, uh, but also the things that could occur outside the ring. So those are the types of things we look for. And obviously, they got to have this you know the capabilities of being you know a good fighter, because that's uh, you know that's what's going to in this game. It's, it's brutal, but it's true. You got to win, and uh, and that's the reality. Now, you mentioned this sport only makes sense if you're on the top level, uh, which does make sense. And the last big event was the Canelo-Triple-G fight. What are your thoughts on that fight and the judges' scorecards that took place thereafter? Well, first of all, I think the fight was, uh, it was great for boxing to have a, two top guys fighting each other. Um, you know, it's what the sport needs. It really uh, it did well from, from a business standpoint. And... You know, look, it was a fight I was interested in watching. And, you know, when somebody who's involved in this sport and in the sport day to day, and, you know, you're looking forward to a fight, that's a good thing. And, it, uh, and it, it resonates that this is the kind of fight you want to see. So from that perspective, it was good. I think the fight turned out to be a good fight. Um, and maybe not a great fight, but, you know, a good fight. And the, and the kind of fight that 
you know, you do want to see the rematch, which is also good for boxing. The scoring on the fight, look, um, it's not atrocious when you have a fight like that, and you can, and the scoring goes, you know, one or two rounds, one fighter, or one or two rounds, the other fighter. You know, you could see those kinds of things happening. There's a lot of aspects and elements to scoring a fight. So, uh, the draw, I had no problem with. If Canelo got the decision, if Canadi got the decision, I would have no problem with it. I, I thought Canadi won the fight, uh, but I thought it was a close fight. Um, but and and I could see, you know, scoring the fight some rounds one way or the other way. To score the fight one eighteen to one ten in favor of Canelo, that's atrocious. And as a sport, we can't allow that to happen. And when a judge does something like that, that judge can't can't judge fights like this anymore. They got to be demoted. They got to they they, they want to um, still be in the business. They got to go to some kind of remedial training, and they got to be monitored and put on some kind of suspension watch list the way a fighter is put on suspension watch list whenever he did something wrong. There's somewhat less tolerance for a fighter when he does something wrong uh, than there is for a judge. And frankly, that should not be the case. A judge does something wrong, a judge's decisions are bad. This, this impacts the, uh, a fighter's future and a fighter's life. And how many times is it happening we don't see it on the, on the main scale, on the big scale? This one's magnified because it's a me- mega fight. But you got to let judges know they can't get away with that kind of nonsense. Uh, you got to judge a fight the way the fight is. And if you're not doing it because it's competent, well, then you got to get training for that. But either way, you, you know, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be handling a fight of that magnitude. When you're in the NFL, you know, only the best officials go to the Super Bowl and officiate the Super Bowl. And these mega fights are our Super Bowl. And you have to make sure they're done properly. Listen, there will always be mistakes. There's always a human error. Um, you know, sometimes the guy so the judge won't be able to see certain things. But when all is said and done, that scoring was just atrocious. And after the fight here, a lot of folks, Teddy Atlas on ESPN, yelling about how the better promoted fighter has an edge when it comes to judging. What role do promotional companies themselves have in picking judges, objecting to judges, or is that solely up to the discretion of the athletic commission? Well, it is up to the discretion of the athletic commission. Certainly, when we have a guy fighting in a major fight, we and we, we do, or any fight, you know, we, we do tend to try to look and see who the judges are. And if we have a problem with a judge, we'll, we'll go and express our, our concerns with the commissions. But unfortunately, the commissions do control those aspects. And that's the problem we have with the sport. Everybody thinks... Um, that the issue is the promoters controlling. And look, Teddy's right on, on, on that front. You know, when, you, when you're the main promoter and you have the lead guy and the A guy, you know, things fall for you because you're driving the money. But with that being said, there's a dichotomy to that because you need to have the people that are in this game start to understand that we got to make this game as clean as it can be, all right? And that's one of the values of the sport. So that when the networks get involved, when the promoters get involved, when the managers get involved, and the fighters get involved, and we do things more like the NFL does, where it's a collective body, the NFL, and there's representation from the Players Association, there's representation from the owners. That's what fuels it. And here you are, right now, 
golden boy has got Canelo. So Teddy says, well, they got the power. But if, if another promoter had Canelo, they would have the power. And if Golden Boy's putting one of their fighters into a fight on another promoter's show, and that promoter has a mega draw, a talented star, a, a crossed or something like that, then Top Rank would have the power. And ultimately, what it should come down to is these judges should be ranked across the board. And if a judge is in an A category, if a judge is in a B category, if a judge is in a C category, down to a uh, an F, a Z category. And whatever way they're rated is how and what kind of fight they should be judging. And if you're an A-rated judge or a number one-rated judge, then you should be appointed to a fight regardless of what the promoters say because the promoters will have input into whether or not they are a category A judge. And then... If that judge doesn't do what he's supposed to do in anybody's fight, not just a star boxing fight or not just a golden boy fight, but any fight, then that judge should be demoted. And if that were to be the case, I think very quickly, so long as everybody adhered to it and the whole country adhered to it, and perhaps the whole world, um, but certainly the whole country, which you can do, then all of a sudden, I think you start to see judges being more concerned about how they're scoring those fights, knowing that there's going to be repercussions. They, they will no longer be able to be in a major fight. And it's not the money the judges get. It's the, it's the prestige that they get, um, you know, the, the, the ambiance of being the judge for a major fight. And, and that's, that's, that's what's got to be controlled. Now, what's the process if a fighter or a member of the fighters' camp wants to dispute a decision, uh, perhaps have it overturned? What's the process for that? How easy is that to do? Very, very difficult. Um, very rare. Um, we had one that we had reversed because we fortunately had the, um, the video from ESPN that was doing a fight once, and you know, we were able to get it reversed. But very, very difficult. It's not easy to do that. Certainly a decision of the judges is very difficult. This decision will be reversed. Now, one thing the boxing promoters do talk a lot about is the Muhammad Ali Act. Word on the street is that Congress may be exploring, modifying it, maybe applying it to MMA. Can you get into the details, uh, some, some of the details of what the Muhammad Ali Act is? So, sure. Muhammad Ali Act was an act that was enacted uh, in the year 2000, I believe, uh, with, a, with a Second Amendment, I believe, the following year. In any event, uh, the, the act uh, basically, uh, in a nutshell, puts in certain guidelines from a federal perspective on the promotion and conducting of boxing matches. And as it relates to promoters, there are certain requirements that you have under the Ali Act and disclosures that need to be um, given. And theoretically, it was enacted so that the fighters would have a more fair, more of an understanding of how much money uh, was made in a particular fight. Um, I don't think it accomplishes that task. I think there's a lot of problems with the Act. Um, and I don't think that it really benefits in the manners that they anticipated it would. 
but that, that's the way it is. Um, now, with respect to bringing it into the UFC, um, you know, certainly boxing is unfairly disadvantaged versus the UFC um, because we are subject to the Ali Act and the UFC is not. So from a, from a business standpoint, the UFC has the ability um, to make X percentage of the revenue and not disclose its revenue. So nobody knows how much they're really making. And, um, and they're able to pay their fighters, you know, significantly, well, very, very low on a percentage basis uh, compared to what promoters have to pay the fighters. But I, I, I am not so sure that that's the solution. And the real problem exists not at the top, um, you know, because at the top and whenever you have a, a fighter that's got lawyers and a fighter that's got um, competent management, Everybody knows what the numbers are. That's not hard to get. Um, it's, it's, there's other aspects of the business uh, that need to be looked at. And, you know, when you keep putting a burden on one sport uh, that, you know, you don't enable that sport to thrive, you make it so that all of these fighters that really do need the help don't get it because nobody will invest in them and nobody will put the money and effort and time into them. Um, and basically those guys are stuck with nothing. And at the end of their careers, they have nothing. And that's the shame of it. So I don't think the Ali Act addresses those things. Now, you mentioned the UFC was legalized in New York uh, some time ago. With that legalization came certain insurance requirements that limited boxing. I know lawsuits have been filed. I think you were part of some efforts in that regard. Yeah, look, um, it, it, it gets to the same thing we talked about with judges. You know, one of the ills of the sport. Boxing... Um, and now, the MMA, are the only sports where you really have uh, regulatory control and not sport control. So that the NFL is, is handling its sport and makes determinations with regards to medical issues. <clears throat> the NBA does the same. Major League Baseball does the same. In boxing, we have the state that tells us those things. And, you know, unfortunately, the state often is very political. And what happened was, there was a fighter who was uh, injured in a fight um, at Madison Square Garden. And as a result, the state was sued. And now the state has since had to pay a $22 million or $24 million payout to that family, okay, the Madonet. Now, um, what, what, ends up happening as a result of that is a knee-jerk reaction by the state that says we're going to fix this problem, okay, that we had, and we're going to make and have insurance for fighters so that if they get traumatic brain injury, they'd be covered for up to a million dollars by insurance for each fighter. And obviously, who are they going to ask to pay that to promote? Well, First of all, the reason and, and the issues that occurred with Magnet, which is, was borne out by the testimony and hearings, that the New York Athletic Commission did not file, follow its own procedures with regards to how to treat a fighter uh, who's injured. And like a school that says, hey, if the kids are out there with knives 
and they're playing outside with knives because we let them play with knives and we put them in the, in the playpen and say, go ahead, go play with those knives. And kids are getting cut. And the school says, okay, here's our solution. Our solution is we're going to order a whole bunch of Band-Aids so the kids will have Band-Aids. That's not the solution. The solution is take away the knives. Well, New York Athletic Commission and the New York State Legislature decided, well, we had a problem. The fighter was injured. Procedures weren't followed. Doctors didn't do what they were supposed to do. The inspectors didn't do what they were supposed to do. So we're going to come up with our own Band-Aid. Here's our Band-Aid. Let's have traumatic brain insurance for a million dollars. That's absurd. They, nobody looked at the implications it was going to have for the sport. And frankly, there's no real implication on protecting the safe health and well-being of the fighter, welfare of the fighter. You're looking at a band-aid on it. You're saying, okay, if he does get injured, here's what we're going to do. Well, first of all, the mind of situation is a, I couldn't even come up with the odds of what it is. But you want to protect fighters to ensure that the safety mechanisms from a medical standpoint are adhered to. And instead, they went along with this insurance aspect. Uh, they didn't really care about the impact of the fighters. They cared about making it look like they were doing something. And, in, and instead, you have now fighters who can't fight in New York because there are no shows in New York. Yes, we're doing the Paramount September 28th. We're the only ones doing non-televised uh, boxing events, non-major non televised. So although we're going to put this on Facebook, we're going to put this on Fight TV, whatever else it might be, you know, we're not talking about um, putting it on HBO or Showtime where you get mega money coming in. Those kinds of shows can take place because you can afford the coverage. But, uh, and at one point in time, there was, there was a nine-month period in New York where we didn't even have the coverage. You couldn't even do it even if you had the money, if you had HBO. But now at least the insurance exists. We could do a show. But it's cost prohibitive. We've dropped our shows. We cut our shows in half in New York. We've moved to other states. A lot of, no other promoters are doing it in New York. I think Lou has done uh, maybe one or two. But he moved out of New York State also. And everybody's moving out. And our fighters now are unfairly disadvantaged versus fighters in other states because the New York Commission decided, uh, or the New York legislature really, decided that they're going to require this insurance that nobody in any state or country in the world requires. And it's unfortunate because who gets hurt? The very people that you're professing to want to protect the fighters, because the fighters can go to a state now that doesn't have any insurance, because we have all the medical insurance here, um, will go to a state that doesn't have any kind of testing. New York has MRIs, CAT scans, EKGs, blood, I mean, New York has all those tests. The other places don't, many places don't have that. Uh, so, you know, what you're professing to do, professing to want to do is protect the fighters. Instead, you just crippled an industry and hurt the fighters. And again, those are the kinds of things that I think that if this sport were run by a national association, and I'm not talking about a governmental association, I'm just talking about a national association uh, comprised of the people that are in the sport and know the sport the best and know it the most, um, as well as obviously you bring in independent arbitrators and things like that, then our sport would be much better off. 
and that does affect fighters as you mentioned on the lower scale obviously on the higher end that doesn't affect a lot of these fighters and a fighter that you promote that's been fighting on the higher end of cards joe smith jr knocked out bernard hopkins some time ago before his last fight he could have been on his way to fighting andre ward ward retired this week if the retirement sticks are you sad to see him go Sure. Look, it's always sad to see a guy who's a talented fighter go, a guy who obviously I have guys that match up well with him and we could, you know, make money because, uh, look, ultimately you're looking for all your fighters to make money and for your, your company to make money. But with that being said, I, I, and I don't want to sound patronizing, but I'm proud of him, you know, Andre Ward. Listen, you know, um, it's very difficult to walk away from a career when you're literally at the top and pinnacle of the career, but... You know, this, and I, I know it well. I didn't, you know, when I walked away from my boxing career, I didn't, you know, move forward after the winning the Golden Gloves and things like that. Um, it's difficult. With that being said, you know, you got to give a man a lot of credit. Um, you know, he was doing it since he was a kid. I understand that as well. I did it every day. It's grueling. You know, you make sacrifices. Uh, when your friends are going out, you can't because you're training and you got to be up in the morning. So I understand very, very well what he's done and why he's done it. And the reality is that you got to give him a lot of credit uh, for walking away and, you know, his uh, physical and mental facilities are all intact. He's at the peak of his career. He's uh, accomplished so much. He's made money. And hopefully uh, he stays that way. It would be very good, uh, I think, for him personally. And it's sad to see him go, but, uh, but you know, you got to give him a lot of kudos for it. Well, hopefully the retirement won't stick because uh, he is a great fighter. It would be great to have him back. But, Joe, we do appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Where can people learn more about Starboxing, about your company, your fighters, and the events coming up? Well, you can certainly go to our website. It's uh, starboxing.com. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook, Facebook uh, Starboxing. Uh, Twitter is Starboxing. Instagram, Starboxing Inc. Um, so uh, those are different ways to find us, but obviously you can find all of it on our website, which is uh, starboxing.com. And look, September 28th, Thursday night at the Paramount is our next show, and uh, it's going to be an exciting night of boxing. You want to see real boxing at uh, you know a high level of competition and also in a venue that you know radiates with excitement, come to the Paramount in Huntington, New York. It's in Long Island. September 28th, and come watch the fights. Sounds good. Joe, once again, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. My pleasure, Dimitri. Good speaking to you. And that's our interview with Joe DeGuardia. Hope you guys had a good time. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Dimitri Shaknovich. If you want to learn more about me, please visit www.dshacklaw.com. And this is the Fight Lawyer Podcast. Till next time, folks. <laughs>